Well, we'd just like to welcome everybody that's joining us from wherever you are. Um, it's great that we can gather, even connect uh, virtually. And obviously, we would love to be together at our church facility this morning. Uh, but for right now, this is what the Lord has provided for us. And as Patrick mentioned, there are many other ways that we can connect with each other and love our neighbors effectively. Our small groups is one of those ways. Uh, we still have our monthly outdoor communion gathering, which we had last Sunday, which was a wonderful time. And we are just looking for innovative ways to follow the Lord and walk with Him in this season. And it requires some effort on our part. It's going to require us not just to fall back and be uh, comfortable, but rather step out in faith, believing God that He will truly meet us in those places with individuals that we can love effectively. I think there are going to be even more opportunities for us this, this fall uh, to really do that as a church community. So I pray that you will be prepared and ready to respond. Uh, this summer, we've been looking in our times of, of sharing at the book of Revelation, and we've seen that Jesus is revealing himself to seven churches in Asia Minor. He's commending them and rebuking where they're wrong. He's admonishing them towards new behavior and, and responding to him. And he's warning them if they don't and promising reward for those who heed. But we're also realizing that what Jesus had to say to those seven churches is just as much pertinent for us today. What Jesus said to them has a lot to say to us today. So we continue in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1 as we look at the church in the city of Sardis. Verse 1, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you were dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Sardis was a, a city that was once known for its wealth and splendor, but it had greatly deteriorated and was quite decadent. The archaeologist Sir William Ramsey said Sardis was a great example of the melancholy contrast between past splendor and present decay. It kind of reminds me of some of the cities in our nation. It was a city whose best days were behind it, but they lived like they were still something to behold. It had been the capital of the Lydian kingdom atop a 1,500-foot cliff. That's where the Acropolis of the city was located. And it rendered the city almost impregnable. But at least twice in its history, Sardis had been captured by its enemies, who figured out how to scale those cliffs while guards were either asleep or were absent altogether. So with a history like that, that no doubt the citizens of Sardis would have all known, it must have been poignant to hear Jesus say, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Wake up! Jesus addresses this church in Sardis the, the same way he had the previous ones. He starts with those two words, I know. 
He said it to all seven churches. I know, I know your works is what he said in this case with Sardis. He was talking to them out of his knowledge of them. For Jesus, he always knows. To the church in Ephesus, he said, I know your works, toil and patient endurance. To the church in Smyrna, he said, I know your poverty, but you are really rich. To the church in Pergamum, he said, I know you dwell where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. And to Thyatira that we talked about last Sunday, he said, I know your works of love, faith, service, patient endurance. Jesus knows because he's God, but he's also very near. He is, as the, as the book of Revelation depicts in the first chapter, walking among the seven golden lampstands. Those are the churches. He is walking among them. He has firsthand knowledge of what's going on. Now, when, when I ponder this truth, and I've talked about this before in a previous message, when I, ta- when I ponder this truth that he is all-knowing, that he is omniscient, it, it brings me both trepidation and comfort. It's, it's a mixed bag with this understanding. Trepidation because, well, he knows. He knows everything. Those things you don't tell anyone that secret sin that you think no one knows about, or those thoughts you keep all to yourself, he knows. The psalmist said in Psalm 139, which is one of my favorite psalms, he said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. His knowing everything is always true. And I think one of the things, the understanding that he is omniscient is that it can help us understand that his insistence that we confess our sin, it's not because he needs to be informed. It's because we need to own it. (laughs) Patrick talked about that earlier this morning where he said, if you have sin in your life, God has made a way for that to be dealt with. Don't hang on to it. Don't hang on to the guilt and the shame that's associated with it. Come to him and let him heal you, forgive you, restore you, and set you on the path so that you don't live that way any longer. But the reason he wants us to confess our sin is that we need to understand it. We need to own it, assume responsibility for it. Our treason against him is never news to him. We confess not to let him know. We confess so that we will know what he already knows. But this omniscience, this his his knowing, is also something that should bring us great comfort. When, When nobody notices you, when you feel invisible or inadequate, when you're not sure that your life matters or counts 
or what you're doing matters or counts. It's in that moment you need to be reminded of this. He knows. He knows everything. He knows your sacrifice. He knows how you have obeyed and followed him. He knows even in the service that you've given that nobody paid attention to. He knows and he never forgets. And that's comforting to me. So from this place of knowing, Jesus is addressing each of these churches. But with Sardis, what he knows about them is not commendable or good at all. He says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. <laughs> I have a feeling that's not exactly what they were hoping to hear. I I would think they were looking for some sort of commendation, some pat on the back, like some of the other churches had received, but that's not what he gave them. I like the way Peterson puts it in the, in the message. He says, I see right through your work. You have a reputation for vigor and zest, but you're dead, stone dead. This church was committing the same dreadful error their city did centuries before. They had fallen asleep spiritually, and they were allowing sin to invade and overtake them. And I think we can be pretty certain that sin was their issue because throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, sin is likened to death. The father says of his prodigal son, this son of mine was dead but is alive again. And Timothy was warned by Paul, the person who lives for pleasure is dead, even while they live. And Paul went on to say that all of us before new birth in Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Sin leads to death. That's what God promised Adam and Eve in the garden. But if it's not dealt with, if sin's not dealt with on an ongoing basis, it can also impact what has been alive and becoming fossilized in the process. After Jesus pulls back this curtain for this church in Sardis on their deadness, he goes on to say they must strengthen what little that remains. Look, look back at verse 2 again. Wake up! and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. That, that last phrase is striking to me, and it, it can better be translated this way. I have not found any of your works to be complete. And I wonder how many things we launch into, but they remain incomplete. I think God wants us to finish what we begin, just as he is a finisher of what he starts. This whole recognition that they have been found, that their works were not complete in the sight of God, makes me think of the Old Testament story of Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, who became king after him. And uh, Belshazzar didn't follow uh, all the ways of his dad, uh, because his dad had come to recognize that God was the Almighty. So Belshazzar, as king, threw a feast for his court, and he had all the golden vessels that had been taken out of the Jerusalem temple, the house of God, 
And he had those vessels brought in so that they could dishonor them and drink wine from them. Now they're drinking and having this party, his whole court, and I'm sure they're intoxicated. And suddenly, fingers of a human hand appeared in the room and start to write on the plaster wall of the king's palace. This is where we get that proverbial phrase, uh, phrase, the handwriting is on the wall. This finger starts writing on his wall, and the king and his court, they are terrified. They're drunk, no doubt, but they are scared. They, they've not seen anything. This It's just a finger. It's not the hand. It's not the arm. It's not the person. It's just a finger writing on his wall. So he's terrified and he asks all of his counselors and magicians and enchanters, what does this mean? And they don't know. So finally he calls Daniel to interpret what was written. And, and Daniel first recounts for him his father's glory, but also his father's arrogance and how God had humbled him and driven him to insanity until he repented of his pride and acknowledged the Most High God as the ruler over kingdoms of men who would set over them whomever he desired. Daniel said all of those things to Belshazzar, which is amazing in and of itself because Belshazzar could have had him just killed right there on the spot. And then Daniel goes on to say this in Daniel 5, 22, and you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath. And whose are all your ways you have not honored? What an indictment. It could be said of any ruler that does not acknowledge and serve God. He holds your breath. He has all of your ways in his hand. And you have not honored him. He goes on to tell him, verse 24, Then from his presence... The hand was sent, that finger that wrote on your wall, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. These were more than likely Aramaic words. This is the interpretation of that matter, Daniel continues. Mene means God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And Perez, which is the singular version of Parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now listen, by the way, that night, Belshazzar is killed and Darius, the Mede, has received his kingdom. So the truth of the word was revealed. But the thing that sticks out to me is this phrase, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. That's what Daniel says to Belshazzar, you have been weighed and found wanting. The same thing is being said to this church in Sardis. 
by the one who has the seven spirits of God and holds the seven stars in his hand. The same thing that God says to a pagan king, he says to his own church. You have found, been found wanting. There's, there's what Daniel, Grant Osborne says, there's a judicial imagery in this. The church has been investigated by the risen Lord and found wanting. Their deeds do not meet God's standards, and the divine judge has rendered them guilty. Other churches look at their wealth and think of them as healthy and successful, but they are under God's indictment for their inadequacies. Jesus said of this church, nothing good, nothing positive. He said, you have a reputation, you have a name for yourself. Isn't that great? In this day and age, reputation is what a lot of people are pursuing. Their image, what they want to be presented as, how they're seen online and in other settings, it's all about your reputation. But Jesus said to this church, your reputation of being alive is a lie. It's not true. You're really dead. And I have found that none of your works are complete before my father. Of, of all the letters to the churches, this one to Sardis best reveals that subtle danger we all are susceptible to. The danger of growing passive and complacent and cold where we don't take seriously the things that God takes seriously, where we don't take his word to heart. And complacency sets in, and before we know it, we're slipping towards full frontal danger, where our slumber leads to death. The message of Jesus to them and to us is, wake up, wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Now, I don't wanna be overly dramatic here. I, I'm not attempting to pull any heartstrings or be over the top dramatic with anything I'm sharing. I honestly believe that Jesus is saying pretty much the same thing to the American church. Wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. I believe Jesus in this season is judging his church. He's judging its, its forms of godliness, yet denying his power. It's judging us for cultural immersion where we are more about cultural Christianity than obedience of him. It's judging us, as I mentioned what Wayne shared with us last week, for not taking sin seriously, for not seeing him as the preeminent source and authority in our lives, where we equate other things as if that love for those things are equal to our love for God. I believe God is judging us for not being open to the work of his Holy Spirit. We have no power going on in most churches in our nation maybe even in, in, in churches around the world. We've, we've shut the Holy Spirit out. We've clamped it down to the point that we don't want to see him operate because it's not something we can control. We are seeking our own comfort instead of obeying his word. 
And I believe this is a time for the church to hear the voice of Jesus saying, wake up. A pastor I admire greatly, Pastor Ray Ortland, who pastored for many years a church in Nashville, Tennessee. Actually, it's the church that our friend Travis Brown and his family are a part of. Pastor Ray said this recently, I do not believe that our American Christianity needs some tweaking here and there. I believe we need nothing less than the re-Christianization of our Christianity. Isn't it obvious? And I believe the time is now, or maybe never. God doesn't owe us another chance. Look how Jesus concludes his remarks to the Sardian church. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now it's fascinating that the earlier part where Jesus says you have a reputation, that's literally saying you have a name for yourself, that you're alive, but you're really dead. But Jesus promises to the one who remains faithful, to the one who has not soiled his garments, that his name will not be blotted out of the book of life and that Jesus himself will confess his name before my father. Listen, I don't want a reputation the world is impressed by. I want a name that is in the, the Lamb's book of life. I want a name that Jesus is proud of. I want a name that Jesus himself confesses before his Father. The church in Sardis is called to wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains. But also to remember what they had received and heard. To keep it and to repent. And that's a great pattern for any of us, especially in the church but any individual believer, we should always remember what we've received and heard. We should keep it like those, those rocks, those remembrances that Patty was talking to our kids about. And we should repent, return to him. We must remember what Jesus has done, what he has said and is saying, and that those things are the things we must attend to. Not all the other fluff and, and stuff that gets in our way, but what he said and what he's done. Hang on to that and repent of focusing on anything other than that. Jesus warns this church and he, he warns us that if we fail to repent, he will come like a thief in the night. Those, church, those people in Sardis, they knew what that meant. Their city had had enemies come and take them over in the night while they were not watching. And he says, for those, however, who have not soiled their garments, 
Those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, they will overcome and they will walk with Christ and be clothed in purity with their names forever remaining in the book of life. And Jesus, he'll say their name, confess their name before the Father. These are such amazing promises. So my declaration to anyone who slumbers today, who is not taking seriously the relationship he, he or she once had with Jesus. Wake up. Wake up, O oh sleeper. Wake up and strengthen that which remains and is about to die. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I'm going to ask Donna to come and share what the Lord has put on her heart. And we're going to spend just a few moments of praying for you before we conclude our time today. Oh, that was so good. Um, and what a call to action. I want to read just a little bit out of Ephesians 5, and I was struggling to decide if I wanted to read it out of the message or not. Um, but I think I will. Um, it's a paraphrase, but it's very plain English, and I think it makes the call to action so clear. Mm. This is from Ephesians 5. Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn pop proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn the life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us, love like that. Yeah. And then towards the end of the chapter, don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, hmm. the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham that they are. Wake up from your sleep, climb out of your coffins, and Christ will show you the light. Yes. Watch your step and use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Yeah. Don't live carelessly, unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Mm. That takes us back to Nancy's comments about prayer this morning. That's right. That if we, uh, if we abide in him, we begin to take on his, his thoughts about things, his desires about things. Make sure we know what the master wants. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God our Father in the name of our master, Jesus Christ. That's so good. We are being asked to wake up that this is a desperate time. And we don't wanna do anything um, by rote or unthinkingly, carelessly is what the message says. And I, I want to do what Frankie was saying this morning. I want to take everything out of my tent before the Lord and let him decide yeah. what goes, what stays. Yeah what he blesses and what he doesn't approve of. Mm. And if we can do that, then we will be equipped to be light in the world. We yes. will be equipped to reach out to those who are 
hurting and drowning and lost and struggling, not because we're not any of those things, but because we found the anchor. Right. What Patty said today, we found the anchor, a strong hope and encouragement for yes. our souls. Yes. And that's my prayer for us today. Yes. Father, thank you so much for these words, both of conviction and of hope. Thank you that you call us out and you say, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Mm-hmm. Don't lose sight of the bigger picture of the kingdom of of things that are eternal don't get so stuck in the weeds of today that you you miss what i'm saying and what i'm doing and thank you that when we listen and we can lean into you in obedience that there is a promise that is true for us that we can flee to jesus yes the anchor of our souls Mm -hmm for strong encouragement when the world has gone so crazy and when we don't have any hope in this life. You are our hope. And we want to be hope bearers and hope givers. And the only way we can do that is if we wake up and let your light shine on us. So we receive your word of correction this morning, Father. We want to learn how to pour out our hearts to you so that you can bring it all into the light of day. And that when you do that, you can scrape away the stuff that isn't pleasing to you. That's a distraction and an obstacle. Mm -hmm. You set us free to run, to run under your banner, to receive your victory, and to say to others, there is an anchor for your soul. Yes. Lord, we hear your words to us, and we want to respond to you. We hear the commendations where those might be applicable, but we also hear the words of correction. Mm -hmm. Father, we want to respond to you, not because it's the thing to do or because we have a, a church program to protect, but because we want to be known as those who are fully alive in Christ Jesus. We don't want to just have a reputation, a name for ourselves of being something that we're not. We want to be in you, in your life. And I pray, Father, that for those that are slumbering, those that are, are drifting off to sleep and not paying attention, not staying alert, I pray that we would wake up and respond to you, yes. what you have done for us and the forgiveness and strength that you have poured out for us and that we would receive your Holy Spirit and live in the Spirit each day of our lives, fully aware that you have given us a name and it's the name that will be in the Lamb's Book of Life and yes. it is the name that you have redeemed and it is the name you will proclaim even to your Father. I bless our people and all those that have been able to listen and watch today. I pray that you would encourage and strengthen and give life, renewed life to them, renewed vigor and energy and power from the Mm -hmm. Holy Spirit. We commit our ways to you and ask that you would lead us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you guys very much. Bless you. Bless you.